Hello, and welcome to episode 45 of Man vs. Business. My name is Les James, and I am here with my co-host, Sean McMenamin. This week, Sean and I are discussing waste ID and elimination, including the eight deadly wastes. So with that, let's go ahead and start the show. Sean, how are you doing? Good, Les. How are you today? I am doing peachy. Yeah, I think you were peachy last week. Was I peachy last week? Oh, no, I was I think, think trying so. to think of something else. You know, the weather is getting cooler, and it you know it feels really good outside. And I don't know, what's the weather out in California? In the mornings, it's pretty darn cold. It was like uh, maybe one or two degrees Celsius. Uh, Ooh, yeah, that'll, so, that'll wake you up. It was pretty darn cold this morning, but <laughs> when the sun came out this afternoon, it it, it turned out pretty good. So um, this week, we're going to kind of continue on with some of our lean methodology discussion, and we're going to talk about waste, waste identification, the types of waste, uh, how to identify them, how to get other people involved in identifying them, because that's really the key. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so I think, when, I, when I think of waste, yeah. let me just dive, jump off the track here real quick. First thing that comes to my mind is my father. Close refrigerator. Don't don't leave the front door open. You're not air conditioned in the neighborhood. That's a whole waste. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, you know, hey, that is waste. That's right. You know, so why don't we start first by um, kind of de- defining what um, was first described as the seven deadly wastes, and um, uh, and then they've added an eighth one. But let's go through each each one of those and. And uh, kind of discuss them and, and define them and make sure that we're clear on what waste is. Um, some of the information I'm looking at, you know, they've kind of taken it and spelled a nice, neat little word with it. In this particular case, it's called downtime. So kind of fitting, downtime, fitting, waste, right? you know, it's, it's a fitting nice word. Yeah. So it starts out with defects. Um in fact, why don't I list them out first, and then we'll right. come back to it, and we'll talk about each one of them. I think so, that's a good idea. so defects, overproduction, wait time, non-utilized human intellect. However, you want to, whatever you want right. to call and, that. And, and as you said, that, that's the eight. Now there's eight. That is the right? eight. Yes, it used to be seven, but now that's the eight. That's right? the eight. Is the human? Which I like factor. it. I do. Yeah, it's important. Uh, transportation, inventory. Motion and extra processing, which that's another one that people probably call some other things. I think transportation is called something else in some of the other documentations. Um, you know, defect, they usually talk about defect or quality. Uh, non-utilization of human would be, in some cases, called just people, use, mm-hmm. usage of people. Um, so let's go to defects first. So now some of these are going to lend themselves more to a continuous flow environment and uh but all of them can be used anywhere depending on your creativity right and we shouldn't right we shouldn't limit ourselves to be thinking about manufacturing and, uh-huh. and you know a continuous flow environment because i know in in my notes one of the first things under defect is incorrect data entry there you that's go that's a defect that is a defect so somebody somebody fat fingers something or somebody um you know puts in a, a data entry wrong that's a defect right off the bat because one of the definitions of defect is if it leads to rework 
And if you fat finger something, you're leading it. You're leading to rework. Something's got to be redone because of that. So defect is usually talking about uh, the change, the repair, the correction of Mm -hmm. any sort of product or process. Yeah. So I think defect is definitely something that can be identified and looked for in any environment. And if if you're standing in the middle of a production area or an office area and you can't find a defect, you're probably not looking very hard. Oh, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, there's yeah. unless you're a finely tuned machine and you've been through this so many times. Continuous improvement so many times. Yeah. 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 So here's let me let me just give a little example and, and I'm trying my head's a little spinning. Um, we're, we're implementing an ERP system and training Sorry. some engineers, <laughs> right? So, and training training some engineers. And one of the things that was uh, discussed was, oh, I, I can't code. I don't know what to code for the general ledger. See, now you got engineers who are purchasing equipment, and and the ERP system needs what account code is going to go to. And here I have engineers that are building pressure vessels. That, that get up to 900 pounds per square inch of pressure, everything like that. And they're like, I don't want to code. I don't want to code into accounting something and do it wrong. But then the answer there was because of our existing process. Oh, don't worry about it. Put in what you think it is. And there's so many levels of check. It'll be caught by the end. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. I'm smacking my head right now if you can't hear that, folks. <laughs> and so – and so. You know, I'm, I'm kind of the low voice over there. Okay, well, let's just make it, let's pokey oak it if we have to, yeah. to make sure that you get the right code. Because the fact that you just said, we've got things in place to to find it, that's all waste. That's all waste, yes. wasted time. And inserting, and potentially inserting a defect almost on purpose. Yeah, because uh, you don't care. Right. So the next well, one, well, it, it, yeah, you're right. I, I was I was just getting ready to catch myself. Don't care yeah. is not the right word, but yeah. it's not your biggest concern. Well, the the fear of doing something wrong is is bigger and takes more energy than figuring out how to do it right from the beginning. Right. So putting it putting into place a a foolproof method of coding the under a handful of items that they would have to code. So, I mean, so tell me, you know, a professional engineer that's got, that's, that's got uh, their stamp can figure out which five, which one of five things does this piece of equipment go to right. for account for accounting purposes. It just cracks me up. That's a good example. Uh, the next one is overproduction. So this is actually where you're actually producing more than or faster than what the customer requires. This gets into your tack time. If you're producing things that you just don't need. And this even happens in a custom environment, which you and I are both uh, very Mm -hmm. familiar with. But for sure, in a continuous flow environment, if you're producing things and sitting it on the shelf and it's not moving, what is that doing to you? Well, it's costing Mm -hmm. you money and and lots of it. You know, inventory is very expensive. Right, inventory, the space. Somebody has to touch it multiple times. Right. Right. So if you're making extra and it's got to be put someplace, then it's got to be gotten by somebody if if you remember to use it or you just continue to make more and forget about it there in, in the warehouse. Yeah, it leads to excessive work in process or finished products. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. definitely overproduction is and again, we don't 
we see it somewhat in a custom environment, but definitely in continuous and flow. Continuous flow, that is definitely something you've got to pay attention to. Hence, uh, systems and uh, methodologies such as uh, Kanbans, uh, such as pools, pool methods. So those are, those are topics we're going to touch on in, in later sessions. But overproduction is uh, – some of those activities are help overproduction. You know, overproduction also includes um, overordering materials. Yeah. So if you're not if you're not clear and you don't know exactly what you're going to do, or you've got a, a reject rate of your own skills and your own quality, you know, and you're going to overbuy because you know you're going to break four of them. Okay, that's 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 an overproduction activity. Uh, making multiple copies, making multiple copies of things, just because. People have to see a hard copy instead of having it input into a system where people can pull the yep. data. You know, and another one is, you know, uh, and this is a, uh, an, a, a front office uh, example, but if you've got multiple salespeople with a single engineer, you might be overproducing uh, orders that that engineer uh, can't quite get done. You know, so that's definitely a kind of an overproduction scenario. Uh, it's not as easily identifiable because you're talking about information as opposed to a physical mm-hmm. item. So it is a little bit more difficult, but that's still the definition of overproduction where you're actually producing things faster than what somebody upstream can do with or deal with. Mm-hmm. So so you get into leveling when you start um, uh, getting into aspects of fixing overproduction. Uh, you get into the pull methods like you talked about. You get into Kanbans, things like that, things to help you schedule. Yeah. The next one is wait time. Um, waiting for material, people, or equipment, information, um, it adds adds to the overall time to provide the product or service. So if you've got – excuse me. If you've got people that are waiting on material or if waiting on machines or waiting for information – that's a huge waste. That's one thing I'm very I'm very proud of that uh, <laughs> in changing the culture in, in this organization and in other organizations, uh, people around me know, and I think I might have mentioned it on this podcast before that that waiting is a, a very bad word in my language. Yeah, and uh, and they changed they changed their their thought process because what I say is, don't tell me you're waiting for an answer. Tell me you're pursuing a solution. Very good, right? Yeah. So, so if they don't have something, you, you can legitimately not have something. You're do not tell me you're waiting for a part. Oh my goodness! Tell me that the parts on order will be here on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I want to know. Not, not. Oh, I'm just waiting for the part. That tells nobody. That tells me nothing. Yeah. 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 Waiting is another one that can happen inside of any type of environment. Yeah. You know, if um, if you're waiting on suppliers for information, if you're waiting for data to do drawings, if you're waiting on material to assemble something, if you're uh, waiting on information from off front office to complete something in the back office, you know, you should be looking for waiting all over the place. Right. And so, you know what? Let's let's be real and think about this, though, too. When you've got a project, you really have to plan. That, that, that's where planning and scheduling is critical and making sure that your process is honed well enough that 
that a downstream operation isn't isn't held up by not having the input that they need at the time they need it. Well, you know and, what I mean? Yeah, sure. And to add to that, uh, to be even more realistic, especially for us since we're project based or we're doing custom product, you can't always fill somebody's time 100% of the time in that we're not continuously flowing work. Um, so what I like to do in those cases is make sure that people have secondary activities to work on that supports the environment, you know, so that literally not only are they not waiting, but they're doing productive things if they do have to wait on something or move to something else. Mm -hmm. So you definitely want to make sure that people understand that there's things that they can be focused on that would help move the business forward. In fact, that's one of the things I've told my guys, you know, I want to measure them on. What are you doing to help move the business forward? I I understand you're doing your day job. Get it. Mm -hmm. I totally get it. But how are you helping us move things forward from a business as a whole? That's good that they should have that in All across the organization. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come back to the the people one, and I'm going to go to transportation. So... Uh, transportation, I don't see quite as much in our environment, but transportation is the unnecessary movement of material or information, uh, which leads to extra steps or, you know, processes. Um, it's not that I, I see you giving me a smirk. Uh, it's not that I don't see it. It's just not as identifiable because we're so small and we're moving things so closely that, I see so many other big boulders before I see transportation. Yeah. Let me say you know, it that my, way. Let me area, say it that yeah. way. <laughs> and and your transportation, I mean, it could be in an office situation where people are walking copies of paper, you know, floor to floor around the, around the, but see, that's my point is that we're literally walking 30 feet to a copier, yeah. even though that's, you know, that's a good distance and we could all have copiers at our desktop. Right. Um, I think that's the missing the forest through the trees in that particular case because we are yeah. such a such a small environment. Now you're right. If you were a huge factory and your office was out in the middle of the factory floor and your printer was in the front office of the building, which was 200 yards down way, then yes, that is a huge 20 minute walk of waste unless you're using that walk to review something or do work or something. I don't know, but that's but still even, the, even the material can like, you know, you should be able to think through how the process of whatever you're making, whether it's in a shop or in an office, you know, make sure that, that the steps are kind of close or, or at least in a, in a, in a fashion where each step there's, there's not a whole lot of waste of time and, and uh, movement between like a spaghetti diagram. If you're in a, if you're in a, a factory setting, and your material comes in in one end of the shop, and your product goes out that same shop, that same side of the shop, but it has to go crisscross throughout the shop to get back to that beginning point. Might yeah. not be as as uh, efficient as realigning the way the job goes through the shop. Now, here's the example for us: we have trailers, so we have we have boilers on trailers, and so we have what we call the Tonka, which is a truck that moves these trailers around. And so when, say, a pump, you need a pump or something like that, and the pump isn't in, and you have to take this boiler, move it to the yard, work on something else so that you're not wasting time waiting, 
But then when the pump comes in, you got to go get the Tonka to go and move this boiler back to the to the shop. Yeah. And so so thinking through that, that would be a huge one. Yeah. Yeah, that's big for me. You know, that's uh, we saw that a lot at our previous life, um, where they would be assembling vessels and they wouldn't have a major piece of that vessel there and they'd move that vessel out to the shop to put something in mm-hmm. its place and then later on come back and get it and of course then their then their schedule is all thrown off and you know so a lot and of indirect labor, indirect labor moving things around is yeah, costly huge mm-hmm. so the next one is inventory um supplies or raw material above the minimum uh to perform the activities leads to overstocking of materials so inventory is a big one you know I'm hoping my head doesn't fall off my shoulders during this talk class because you can see that. It's, I, I can see that you were kind of wiggling it, there. And, it's shaking. Anybody yeah. that has material in a shop has to count inventory. So we're going through our inventory process right now, and uh, the auditors are going to come in in December and check, you know, how much are how much how much do we have for inventory and what's uh, valued at. So how well yes. have you done on inventory through the years? Um. It's interesting. Yeah, I'll put it this way. It's interesting working for a privately held company versus the publicly held company that is Sarbanes-Oxley compliant. Right. Um, we can we, we decide that things aren't useful and aren't going to get counted. And um, I don't know. It seems it seems it seems to work. We throw out a lot of stuff when it comes to inventory time. <laughs> We're never going to use that. Throw it away. And talk about waste. We do we do somewhat the same thing. We'll we'll actually put things in what we call dead stock. And um, you know, zero it out, and 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 so we're we're in the same boat. We don't have the same controls, you know, under a SOX uh, yeah. compliant environment. Uh, so we're you know we're privately held also. Um, so yeah, inventory can be a big one. I, I think that um, before I got there, they had made a huge effort to uh, uh, reduce the amount of inventory and make sure that we were truly ordering to projects since we are so project based. And our inventory group is running pretty efficiently right now. So that's one area that is, is doing a great job is our materials control group. Yeah, this is, for me, this is the starting point. Since I didn't get out to uh, our fabrication facility as, as the operations guy until March, um, controlling controlling what we purchased is what I've been doing so far. Yeah. Um, now that we're going to have a baseline of inventory for, for this year, managing that inventory so that next year's inventory count will be better and there won't be as much waste yeah. next year that's going to be that's the goal that's that's one of the major goals for the year so it's going to be fun so the next one uh, motion is another one that i would consider to be more um more useful in a continuous flow environment but motion is the unnecessary movement of people or equipment uh, at a workplace um mm-hmm. and it's and it's usually talking about you know cells or workspace activities uh but but any kind of motion if you're having to move equipment around constantly back and forth to make it work you know you look so, at work look at that kind of motion but again motion's another one that that i would kind of if i had to order them in in order of precedence for me personally i'd put motion as number six seven or eight yeah well and, and people are probably sitting listening what's the difference between motion and transportation and right in my notes i'm looking it up they're almost they're kind of the same they well, are Motion motion has extra data entry steps, so it's not necessarily you know the equipment. But if 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 you have extra steps that really aren't necessary, now the question is when you're doing data entry, 
what's being done with that information, you know, capturing, you know, the color of the paper, you know, in a, an Excel spreadsheet, is that really helpful? You know, maybe not. Well, and I kind of think of motion as focused more on the person and transportation focused more on the material. Okay. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the kind of the difference. But you're right. They have mm-hmm. some overlapping scenarios because when I think of motion, I kind of think of somebody working in a cell and, and they've got to cut this piece of material, then they've got to move the material over and then they've got to blow it with this air piece and then they've got to move it over here and kind of round the edges and then they've got to put it in a stack and take that stack and put it over here. So that's mm-hmm. the motion that you're looking at is all those steps. Okay, would it make sense for that air to be right over top where he's cutting, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's why I was thinking it's, it more lends itself to usually a – uh, uh, a continuous flow environment, but I will say that we are thinking about motion as we kind of set up some of our zones and do some of our 5S. We are kind of thinking about how motion works because one of the zones we're working on right now is the uh, wooden crate zone, and we've we've now built a, a nice table with an inserted uh, chop saw, and we purchased one of these uh, assemblies that makes a uh, horizontal... Um, um, saw uh, like you see in Home Depot, you know, that runs from top to bottom to cut plywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we made one of those and it works out great. And so, as we were laying that out, we were thinking about how a person would cut the pieces, cut the, you know, the two by fours, cut any plywood, and then move it as the product is going out the door on the other end of the building, out the door, crating it up and going out that door. So we did kind of think about that motion to some degree uh, when we were setting that area up, you know, but that's what motion's about. Yeah, and I I was going to tie it to 5S as well because one of the motion steps that that can be eliminated under waste is uh, when you're looking for things. Yeah. So So if the folks have to look for something, then that's, you know, one of the five S steps that you can you can eliminate that waste right away. So the next one would be extra processing. So um, uh, extra processing would be anything that does not add value. So this is the so, whole yeah. This is the whole discussion of value versus non-value add mm-hmm. activities. Um, this one's a tough one a lot of times in a new environment to continuous improvement or to lean. Uh, because obviously people think everything they do is value added because if they, if they do it, it ought to, you know, it's definitely got to be adding some sort of value, but they're, they're paying me for it. So exactly. They're value. paying me for it. So that there's value there. They're, they're kind of missing the point here that it, this mm-hmm. is the fact that in your workday, you're oftentimes doing, well, in fact, they say 80% of what you do is not lending any sort of process value uh, to the workflow, um, and you know, so, you know, signs of this would be things like reports that contain more information than what a customer needs, or you know, um, uh, doing extra steps in in the routing of an assembly. Uh, now, you can get into the argument of you know, are those creating customer satisfaction type activities? Yeah, you do have to que- you know ask yourself. Um, but where you're going to see this the most is whenever you do some sort of process mapping or value stream mapping, this is where you look at those type of activities and ask that question, you know, Hey, entering this information into this, 
uh, ERP system this way? Is all of that adding value or could it be done somewhere else or could it be done a different way or could it be done a better way or blah, blah, blah. But people do get scared in this one that they're losing their job by responsibilities getting either taken away because they're lending no value or they're being moved to uh, point of entry or point of use uh, type areas. Um, You know, just like uh, um, entering information in the ERP system, you know, as opposed to sending that all to an administrative assistant, you know, the sales guy can enter it. Well, but then there's the point of if the sales guy is entering it, is he selling? Well, there's a balance there somewhere. But that's part – there is – there is, that is part of the process mapping and as it you know makes sense. So I think my comment on this one is just be, be cognizant of the people that you're talking to on this one because this one is one that I have always found people take very personally. And that's the <laughs> yeah. last that is the last thing you want to have happen is everybody thinking that their job is gonna get whacked because they're engaging on these process improvements and they won't have a job after it's all said and done. Well, that's leadership there that has to make sure people understand that by pulling away waste from your job, you can do more of the important parts of your job. Exactly. More throughput. Yeah. You know, because the theory is, is that you want to be doing more work without adding more people. Right. So if you could do that, it would actually benefit them more. If your company is very progressive and, and make sure that you're valuing your people and take that approach and say, look, if we're if we're processing more work, you're going to gain more out of this. You know, your bonus yeah. might be a little bit bigger. Your, you know, your, uh, you know, your workload might be done more effectively and efficiently. You might receive less errors back from you, or you know, things like that. Yeah, and let me and I want to clarify something because I just don't want to say yes, you know, to something that that we said. You know, do more work without necessarily adding people. Well, the way I would like to look at it is the reason you add people is because you are legitimately growing. Yes, and, that, and that, that's the way I would rather look at it. Not not to you know prevent you know companies or think that companies can get away without hiring people. And you know hiring people should be a good thing. Yes, hiring more people should be a good thing. That means you're legitimately growing. And think about it: when you do hire that new person, you've set them up with a process that works, that can be measured, that can that can show value added in that person's daily efforts. And uh, you know everybody's typically a Happier employee. Yeah. Creating more value. Good point. Good point. So the last one we need to touch on is back to people. (laughs) So, um, you know, failure to use, you know, the time and talent of your people, I think is truly um, a disservice to the company. Yeah. It really is. At, At the end of the day, it truly is a disservice to the company. Um, and, and you're not, utilizing uh if you're not utilizing your employees effectively efficiently then that's something that you should be on top of pretty quickly and that's one of the reasons why i saved this one for last and it's another reason why i'm glad they added it you know to the deadly waste because it wasn't originally on there but uh i'm glad they added it because this one to me is a big one and it and it holds within it a lot of a lot of money yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that uh, rings in my mind when I think about this waste is that you find out that, that you have that waste when you're talking to people and they say, well, I've had this idea for 10, 15 years. Nobody's done anything about it. Or, hey, I, I've wanted to make this change, but 
but nobody has had the backbone to, to implement it. So you know, you know that there's there's problems and waste when you hear comments like that. And you know, as a as a new leader, somebody that really believes in process improvement and lean, you really need to take their information, not necessarily do what they say because it might there might be extenuating circumstances, but at least vet it. Yeah. Run through the process. So I think that that kind of segues us into the kind of the next general topic now that we've gone over all eight of these, and that is um, making sure that you're you're truly um, utilizing this information when your employees identify these these waste items. So I think that's mm-hmm. a great point because what you want to have happen in your environment, and I think that's this is one of the key things that we need to bring up is that. You want your employees to be identifying potential waste. Mm-hmm. You know that's you don't want leadership walking around pointing things out all the time. Um, you know that's not really uh, helping helping the company or the environment. Now, I think leadership should still engage in it. You want everybody engaged in identification of waste, and so on. Setting up a waste identification program. You know, we, we should probably touch on um, how you go about getting that going and getting it started. I think the first thing is, is you've got to train people on what to look for and give lots of examples. That yes. is the easiest way to get this started and get people thinking about it. Uh, I agree. Next step is, is empowering them to eliminate it. Yes. Because when you think about it, I, like when, when you were saying – the employees have to identify waste and, and management has to be engaged but not necessarily find all the waste. The, the word there is leverage. You, you leverage the number of eyes and hands and feet that are out in your workspace by making sure that the people can identify waste, but then you don't want everybody bringing, hey, this is waste, this is waste, this is waste, to one person, and that one person's got to figure out now how to get rid of it all. Right. There's, got to be, there's got to be guidelines in the different areas of, hey, what can you do? What can you do? If you, if you discover waste, this is what you need to do to eliminate it, and this is what you need to do to communicate so that you're not stepping on somebody else's process or adversely affecting somebody else's process because of what you thought was waste or somebody thought was waste. So you also you also have to make sure that you've got a framework for managing it, yeah. you know, uh, because you have to kind of know you can't let everybody just run off like mavericks, uh, mm-hmm. just kind of doing whatever they want to to change things around. You have to have some sort of framework. You have to have some sort of guideline. You have to have a way to kind of capture it and measure it. Um, you know, so make sure you've got something in place. And and, and for those that have you know um, uh, quality programs in place, such as an ISO program or something like that, uh, this is no different than nonconformances. Mm-hmm. You know, waste and nonconformances are almost interchangeable to some degree. Uh, I think of nonconformances maybe as a little more severe just because they're usually not meeting a requirement or a specification, mm-hmm. but, but waste is, is, it can really be identified that way too. But point being, having methodology for capturing all those opportunities and I will say, at first, this is going to seem like a fire hydrant cap that's been pulled off and water is just flowing out and you're trying to drink it. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's, it, so you have, to kind of, you have to kind of figure out what low-hanging fruits to tackle first 
and make sure that people are tackling the right things, that are leveraging the right things. Give them guidance. Uh, give them the support. Give them a way to ask you questions. You know, hey, am I handling this correctly? Hey, you know, I've got this one loaded in as a, as a waste item. Are, are we good with moving forward with it? Thumbs up. Keep going. You know, so you got to have a, put a little bit of boundary to it, a little bit of framework to it. Make sure that you don't have people that are just going, you know, every which direction. Right. One person doing a waste this direction, and one person taking care of a waste that way, and they could have been pulled together. So you gotta you gotta make sure you've got to have a little bit of control to it. But the other key to this is, like you said at the beginning, is showing some completed waste activities so that people understand that it's not just falling on deaf ears. Making yeah. sure that you advertise the completion of waste activities and and let everybody know, hey, so-and-so identified this waste, we logged it, we kind of discussed it, he went off and did it, thumbs up, that was an awesome job, here's what he did, here's how he did it, good job, Johnny boy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah. let everybody know. So that, you know, at first everybody kind of look at him and go, oh, yeah, 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 but after a while people are going to, you know, start to get on the bus a little bit and realize that it's important. Right. I, I, I agree with you completely. One, one of the things that I wanted to add or, or just clarify is is the boundaries to me are set by value stream mapping. Mm-hmm. Because if, if, you, if you take people through that process and you value stream map that process, it, it's, it's presented to everyone what, what is being done. And, and by looking at it, you can, you can see the big picture. Everybody then that's in that process can see the big picture and they can understand then where in that process there is waste. People could, people would eventually say, Hey, this thing that I'm doing is wasteful. And I know we want to get rid of waste. We don't want to get rid of me. We want to get rid of waste. Here is a waste that, that, uh, or, or an effort that I'm doing that can be eliminated so that I can do other things. You know, you want to, you want to get to that point in the maturity of the process. So this is waste identification is something that, um, I've usually seen best, um, after you've done some five S activities, after mm-hmm. you've done some, uh, TPM activities, then you kind of start, uh, implementing some, some waste identification activities kind of after you've gotten people used to some of the lean methodology and, Possibly after you've done some, like you said, after you've done some value stream mapping and, and you've got some clear processes and, and they're kind of set in stone and you're looking to improve those processes. Also, you can take out of these seven, you can say, you know what, we're going to focus on um, defects or we're going to focus on um, you know, uh, transportation yeah. and kind of narrow your scope for the group. Because if you if you have everybody just looking at all seven or all eight, it can be rather large and daunting, and everybody can kind of be going in different directions. So that's another way you can kind of get the the team going. You know what? We're going to focus on the next six months. We're going to focus on we're going to focus on defects, or we're going to focus on overproduction. And that also opens you up into teaching them other things that we're going to be talking about in some upcoming um, uh, sessions, such as pull, such as kanban. Uh, such as um, you know leveling, uh, process leveling, things like that. So, mm-hmm. I think uh, waste identification is a big one. It's an important one. It's one that you want everybody to understand. And this one's 
would not hurt to do multiple training sessions on. So yeah. that's kind of and, my summary and, on it. And one of the things that we really haven't touched on, but your your explanation there, maybe like the summary, really drives you to you should be measuring it. So if 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 defects are what we should focus on in the next six months, you should have been measuring defects. Yes. And, yeah. And so why are you going after defects? Yeah. Right. Do do a Pareto do a Pareto chart to see which 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 are the biggest eight of the eight deadly wastes you should really be focusing on first if you you know if you if you need to focus in one area at a time. So why don't we go ahead and uh, wrap this up? This was a good session and I hope that everybody has enjoyed this discussion on waste identification. Yeah, that we didn't waste everybody's time. And we didn't waste everybody's <laughs> time. Very good. And we will talk to everybody next week. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Man versus Business. Please note that neither Sean nor myself are business consultants. We just have a strong passion for discussing all things business. Please remember to visit sigmatree.co to see our other podcasts, our business ventures, and our blog. And by the way, you can also drop us a line from the message page. Again, thank you and have a good week.